I want to invite you to um, pray this morning with me as I go before the Lord in this message. One day I was asked by somebody, where do you get your sermons from? You know, if you spend your time in reading and studying God's Word, you'll find out that this, as a cook, this is a menu book that has recipes that will always thrill your soul. And this week, in our devotions for two days, the Lord brought this thought to my mind, burn your bridges. Now, I didn't set the bridge behind me on fire, because you could imagine that. But I think that from where we were to where we are headed, there's a bridge. Let's pray this morning for God to guide our hearts and minds in this message. Loving Father, gracious God in heaven, we come before you asking for your spirit to have complete access to the door of our heart. Some of us listen to sermons with our doors closed, with the, with the lock fastened on the inside. Sometimes we listen to sermons to grade them, to see what in them appeals to the place where we are standing and how we are living and what we are thinking. But I pray today, Lord, that you will knock in a fervent way on the hearts that will be exposed to your Spirit's work through this message. And may we leave here uncomfortable until we open the door and have you walk us across the bridge to where we are headed and then burn the bridge from where we have come so that we are not only thinking about home, but we are heading home. Speak through me, Lord, and may all the glory go only to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul is one that understands what it means to burn bridges. Because before his ministry began, the Lord met Paul at his bridge. And in a very striking way, brought him to the point of humility. And when God got a hold of Paul, Paul never went back across that bridge. And so he knows what it means and he speaks to us even from the silence of his grave that there is a an abundant life waiting for us on the other side of the bridge but he's saying when you begin to cross over determine not to go back we read the words of the apostle paul a servant of the most high god and he says to us in philippians 3 Verses 13 and 14, brethren, speaking to us, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I haven't fully gotten to the other side. But one thing I do, can we read this together? Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal. For the prize of the upward call of God, where? In Christ Jesus. 
I could just stop right there and tell you about how different my life has been since the Lord has come in. Has it been free of trials? Absolutely not. But I'd rather have the fire behind me than the fire ahead of me. I'd rather have the enemy pursuing me than me pursuing the enemy. And when you look at the life of the children of Israel, the enemy pursued them. But God promised if you continue going in the direction that I point you, I will take care of all of your adversaries. I will fight your battles for you. I will make sure that the fittest army, the most trained soldiers, will have to deal with me before they have to deal with you. Can you say amen? So today I'm standing here not because I've, I've got a plan or a formula, but I'm simply moving in the direction where the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus is waiting for me. I am not where I used to be. I'm not where I want to be. But I'm moving in the direction of where I should be. God is going to keep us going in that direction, but we got to burn our bridges. You know, on March 14th, 2012, I read an article. It was the U.S. edition of Bloomberg magazine, and it highlighted a number of individuals, very well-known personalities, either in politics or in business or in show business. And it highlighted these people under the article entitled, Burn the Bridges Through History. It talked about people that after leaving their companies or leaving their position of occupation or leaving their position of responsibility, they did something that made it impossible for them to go back. One of those that I'd like to talk to you about, I'm going to start with the old people because some of the young people have never heard of Richard Nixon. But for those of you that know, oh, Richard Nixon, tricky Ricky. He made the statement after losing the governor's race in the state of California in 1962. He is quoted as saying, you don't have Nixon to kick around anymore because, gentlemen, this is my last press conference. Well, if you've been around long enough, you know that in 1962, it was not Richard Nixon's last press conference because he became president in 1969. And you know about the Watergate scandal. Richard Nixon thought he burned his bridge because he lost the California governor's race, but he crossed the bridge from governor to president and didn't do such a great job. Then, for those of you that are a little more modern, you may have heard about the personality named Rosie O'Donnell, a kind of crass comedian, always has something funny to say. She eventually became one of the female hosts, hostesses on the talk show The View. But in 2007, after Rosie O'Donnell had an on-air feud with Elizabeth Hasselbeck, and it forced her to leave the program, these were her burn the bridges words that she said. She said, I never tried harder to be friends with someone than I did with her, but I don't think we ever got there or anywhere close. And then she resigned from the view. She said, I've been trying to be Elizabeth Hasselhoff's friend or Hasselbeck's friend, but it just never worked out. And because they could not come to an agreement as friends, 
they brought their discomforts to the television audience and one of them had to go and Rosie O'Donnell was the one that was asked to leave. And then some of you may have heard of Edward Snowden. He joined the community of whistleblowers in 2013 when Snowden disclosed and he said that NSA, the National Security Agency, had been conducting surveillance on the entire U.S. population unbeknownst to them. He said, I used to work for the government, but now I work for the public. When he made those statements publicly, he burned his bridges. And since he made that statement, he has not been back in the United States. He burned his bridges. The phrase burn your bridges means you do something, and I want you to listen to this definition very clearly. You do something which forces you, which does what? Forces you to continue with a particular course of action and makes it impossible. Makes it what? Makes it impossible for you to return to an earlier situation or an earlier relationship. When you burn your bridges, that means you're not going back. That means you've made it impossible to go back. And we've heard about people that have left companies like Goldman Sachs. When the company was going down, the chief executive officer left Goldman Sachs, and he left it in a shambles, but it was in such bad shape, he couldn't go back, and they wouldn't have him back. He burned his bridges. Such was the case in many lives. But when you think about burning bridges, as harsh as that may sound, my brothers and sisters, I believe that we serve a burn-your-bridges kind of God. You might say, what do I mean? Well, let me put that in the proper context. And I give God the glory. Every church that my wife and I have had the privilege of pastoring, and I say my wife and I because I couldn't be the pastor that I am without a good wife. Every church we pastor together. At one point or another, I was invited back to speak there. Because we left and we did not burn our bridges. So when I talk about burning your bridges, I'm not talking about burning relationships. I'm not talking about telling folk off and moving in an opposite direction. I'm not talking about being rude to people because you don't care about them. That's not what I'm talking about. When God told the children of Israel to burn their bridges, through Moses he said these very fitting words. He said, tell the children of Israel to go forward. To go where? To go forward. In other words, for 400 years they had been captive in the land of Egypt, in severe bondage as servants, as slaves, under the harsh hands of a pharaoh that did not know Joseph. And they had been crying for God to free them. And when God freed them, and he brought them out with a mighty hand, as Moses writes in the book of Deuteronomy, God brought them out and left the land of Egypt broke. And because of that, the armies of Egypt began to pursue the children of Israel. You know, friends, when you leave your past, the devil doesn't settle for you leaving. He comes after you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you decide that I'm no longer going back, I don't want to live that way, I don't want to be that kind of individual, I can be honestly clear that some of you have said to me, Pastor, this has been a tough week. The devil has been after me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
So when you decide to leave like the children of Israel and you cry for God to bring you out, he'll bring you out. But you got to go forward. You can't go forward by looking back. And when you study the journey of the children of Israel, even though the Lord said to the children of Israel, go forward, there were so many intervals in that journey that some of them never made it to the end of their destination. When Moses went to receive the commandments and he was away for 40 days and they said, we don't know what happened to this man. And then they led Aaron into making a golden calf, which he didn't have to make, but he succumbed to the desires of the people. That's why it's important as a leader, we must be allegiant to the works of God before we are allegiant to the desires of humanity. They said, we don't know what happened to Moses. He may not come back. And so they gave Aaron all the golden earrings and the golden jewels and all the, and he fashioned that and made a golden calf. And then they said, this is our God. Let us return to Egypt. And not too long before that, God said, tell them to go forward. And you know the story. Many of them died there in the rebellion at Korah. Many of them died at the base of the mountain where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Many of them did not make it. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that with many of them God was not well pleased for in one day 23,000 died in the wilderness. God brought them out, but they did not make up their mind to burn their bridges. The bridges were in their hearts. The bridges were in their minds. Their feet were in the wilderness, but their hearts were in Egypt. And someone once said, God brought them out of Egypt. He took them out of Egypt, but he could not take Egypt out of them. And I can't help but to think when I become familiar with our church members and our church family. I've been around long enough to know some of you personally, some of your struggles, some of your challenges. And I know that there are some of you that are fighting with Egypt in your heart. But I want to tell you today, before I go any further in the message, there is no battle in your life that God cannot deliver you from. Go forward, but you got to make up your mind. You also find there was a story about a man by the name of Jer Jeroboam. He was, an he was a king that became angry with the prophet of God because the prophet of God condemned a false idol, a false altar that was built in Bethel, which was the house of God. And because the prophet of God prophesied against Jeroboam's actions, he tried to arrest the prophet of God, and he stretched out his hand to arrest the prophet of God, and his hand withered up. And then he pleaded with the man of God to restore his hand, and the man of God restored his hand. And in gratitude, King Jeroboam said, why don't you go back with me to my house? I want to show my gratitude and look at what the man of God said, which every man of God should say, every woman of God should say, whenever the adversary joins, invites us to join him in a dinner. 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 8 and 9, we read these words. But the man of God said to the king, If you were to give me half your house, I will not go in with you nor would I eat bread, nor drink water in this place. Why? For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, what? You shall not eat bread, nor drink water, nor, what is the next word? 
return by the same way you came. Lord, have mercy. Help me, help me today. Some of us are returning the same way we came. We left what we are now becoming familiar with all over again. We gave up what we're now picking up. We stopped doing what we are starting to do all over again. And we're not listening to the command of God. Don't eat with your past. Don't drink water with your past. And don't return the same way you came. God is saying to us, as he said to the children of Israel, go forward. But that's not the only reason why I believe that God is a burn-your-bridges kind of God. When God warned the wise men in a dream, when King Herod plotted to kill Jesus as a babe, the Lord made it very clear to the wise men. He gave them instruction that applies to us today. Notice what we read in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 12. The Lord warned the wise men in a dream that they should not return to Herod. And what did they do? They departed, they departed for their own country. In what direction? Another way. My brethren, there are some Herods in your life. There are some Herods in your life. Saying to you, if you find the Lord, let us know where he is. Now why is that a deceptive statement? Herod had no intention of worshiping Jesus. He wanted to know where Jesus is or was so that he can destroy him. Let me make some application. The devil wants to know where Jesus is in your life. So he could kill the Christ being born in you. Let me know where Jesus is in your life. Show me where he is in your life. When the devil begins to tell you, I, want, I need information about where Jesus is in your life. And why, I, why do I say it that way? Because the devil cannot read your mind. Praise God for that. But he can read your actions. He can read your discontent about spiritual things. He can read your, your dissatisfaction with the way that God is guiding you to go. He can see the kind of life you're living when nobody else is around. He understands your quiet and secret moments. He is looking for, he's the Herod in your life saying, show me where Jesus is in your life that I may kill him. But God is warning us, and I know that there are some of you that have been warned of God in a dream. You've, you've, God has spoken to you through his word, and sometimes maybe in the quietude of your room and your bed, you heard God speaking to you, and you woke up moved, but you did not respond, and you went the same way. But continually God warns us that he's the burn-your-bridges kind of God. You find also when conflict arose during the ministry of Christ, it affected a large section of his followers, his disciples. We find these words in John chapter 6, verse 64. Notice what happened. The ministry of Christ. Jesus understands what I'm talking about. He said, but there were some of you, John 6, verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. There are some folk that hear the gospel and the Lord has given me the sense of peace. He said, John, they didn't believe it when I said it. Don't get offended if they don't believe it when you say it. If they don't believe Jesus, what makes you feel that they're going to believe you? He said, don't be 
Don't lose sleep over it. You could say it to your blue in the face. They wouldn't believe me, and I was perfect. They're not going to believe you. So I've, so I've literally come to the place in my life as a pastor that I'm saying, Lord, I'm going to do what you did. You told me to say it, but now I understand what you experience. Because they didn't believe you, they don't believe me. They didn't believe Moses, they didn't believe Elisha. They didn't believe the prophets that God had sent to Israel when just before Stephen was stoned. Stephen said to the Pharisees and Sadducees, those that rejected the message of salvation that God had given them for thousands of years, he said, how many prophets has God sent to you, but you wouldn't listen? They were so cut to the heart that they stoned Stephen to death because they refused to even listen to his voice. What happened to those that refused to listen? Notice what the Bible says in John 6, verse 66. It says, from that time, many of his disciples, what did they do? They went back and walked with him no more. You see, when I studied that passage, I tried to find places in the Bible where I could hear something different, where I could possibly find some encouragement that says to me, well, at that moment they went back, but later they came back. Oh, but I read the passage again, and I read Bible commentaries, and it says, Jesus is, these are the words of Jesus. These are not just the words of John. John records the words of Jesus. When Jesus said they went back and walked with him no more, he meant they never came back. And there's a danger. I want to say it again this morning. There's a danger. There is a danger in wanting to go back to where you were before. Because the danger is expressed in this passage. When you walk away from Christ, there is a danger that you may never walk with Him again. You don't go back to sample the world and come back. I remember watching the Christian movie that God is not dead. And uh, I never forget that scene where there was the, the mother who had a rebellious son. He wouldn't even visit her. And one day he visited her in her, in her nursing home, and she had Alzheimer's. Thank you, honey. She couldn't really connect a sentence clearly. But that day when her son, her wealthy, very famous, had all the things he needed, son came to visit her, she said to him, son, sin is like a jail cell. And the door is always open. You go in and you come out. You'll, you go in and you come out. And one day you go in and the door locks and you can't come out. And that son stood frozen as his mother put together a coherent picture that he could not forget. And he fought against her all of his life. And on his way home from that visit with his mother, he lost his life. The devil's serious about trying to get us to go back. But if we don't burn our bridges, that bridge stays in our lives on any given day. 
when our hearts become discontent about eternity and we no longer want to live a holy life and we, don't want to, we no longer want to do what the Bible has taught us to do. We no longer want to listen to the convicting voice of the Spirit of God. We go back on our bridge and go back to where we came from, how we lived, what we did, how we spoke, how we dressed, how we ate, our entertainment. We go back. My brother, there is no evidence that these disciples ever came back to walk with Jesus. There is a danger when we go back. But you know, sometimes my heart is in a place this morning where I, I have a pain in my heart because I know there were people I baptized that joined this church. And because they never severed their ties with a love for music over a love for the truth, they went back to music. I remember visiting one of those members who some of our members still communicate with, praying for that person. Went to be with that individual as, at the, as they lost a loved one. And I remember standing before that individual and they said to me these words because the church they went back to said that their sister is now in heaven. And they said to me, Pastor John, I know my sister is not in heaven. I don't know why they keep saying that. And I said, why are you here? You, you know you should not be. Why are you here complaining about how they believe? Because I love the music. Nebuchadnezzar blew the trumpet and I sang and I bowed when the music was played in Babylon. Let me tell you something. I'm going to be very serious today. Some folk think music is more important than living righteously. I love music. I'm a musician. You can't tell me about music. I've been living that my whole life. My music library is probably more diverse than most of you ever thought about. But music will never cause me to walk away from the truth. I don't care how high you raise your hands. I don't care how much you say you feel the presence of God. You can say you feel God's presence, but if the feeling leads you away from the truth, it's not God. It's a feeling. And just like one secular artist says, the rhythm is going to get you. Remember that song, Gloria Stefan, the rhythm is going to get you. The devil knows that he's putting in the Christian church songs that are no different than what's in the secular world. And the rhythm is getting you. Some of our young folk worship music. They don't worship God. They worship music. They worship the way it makes you feel. They create alliances with folk that they should be witnessing to, but they're going in the same valley with those individuals that are not conscious about the truth that many of them know. Lord have mercy. And when they go back, we get shocked. When they go back to the false doctrines they once walked away from, or they go back to the church that they once left because they know that that church doesn't follow the Bible, we get shocked. Where is so-and-so? They went back. They go back to the life they once lived that they know is against the will of God. It is clear to me that the Bible condemns going back. But it's even more serious than that. Let's go to the book of Genesis chapter 19. The Bible condemns going back. I'll be honest with you, I, I, in my life one day I was sitting on the edge of the bed, on the edge of my bed, right down the street here where our home is, and, and I was, okay, confession's good for the soul, hard on the reputation. 
I got trapped in watching American Idol. That's the trap that musicians get into. And I saw a young man singing. This brother couldn't sing to save his life. And I said to my wife, man, I could sing better than that. And in a moment, I looked back. I can't explain it, but that was before my vocal injury. Listen to me. My voice was at prime. I could sing high and clear and strong. And I believe that God allowed me to have that vocal injury to save my soul. You don't think that there are days that I wish I could sing as I used to? But God said, you look back. But I'm so concerned about your salvation, I need to take that gift so that your life can make it into the kingdom. I still sing. I'm content. I'd rather sing low and make the kingdom than sing high and be lost. Amen? I don't care about singing anymore. I want to be saved. Because I'm going to sing the song of Moses and of the Lamb. That's the song I want to sing. With no injuries. That's right, Bob. My voice is going to return. God said, now you can sing because you're in the city now. So I ain't worried about all that nonsense. It's just lights, camera, action. Wealthy people die too. Famous people die too. They have funerals. You don't believe Elvis could die? He died, even though some people still think he's hanging out someplace with Sammy Davis Jr. Rich people die. Famous people die. Marilyn Monroe, dead. Jimmy Dean, dead. The list, they all die. Everybody's got a funeral. You could be buried in the most expensive coffin. If you don't have Jesus, it ain't going nowhere. You're not going anywhere. You're in the wrong resurrection. We got to get our bearings clear. Why am I saying that? Some of us are getting in the fog of Christianity. Why do I call it the fog of Christianity? There's a fog in Christianity. You know what it's called? The walk of faith. We think that we need to know everything that God is going to do before he does it. So he puts us in the fog of Christianity and, and, and wants to see whether or not we can trust him when we can't see him or understand his will. He brings us into the fog. Now, we don't know that the blessing is 20 feet away, and we think that God has forsaken us, but we're just in the fog. And we give up in the fog. And I want to say to you today, there are some valleys of shadows in the Christian journey, but do not forget, my brothers and sisters, beyond the valley of the shadows of death is the house of the Lord. If you keep, if you keep going forward, you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Don't let the valley, the shadows in the valley, the fog of Christianity confuse you and you go back. I told you that the Bible condemns going back, but it gets even deeper than that. Genesis 19, verse 17. Look at this. When the angels told Lot to see, to, when the angel told Lot to leave Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot hesitated. And what was the command? Genesis 19, verse 17. Look at the command that was given. He said, Escape for your life. But look at the next phrase. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Now, we saw that God condemns going back, 
but God even condemns looking back. And there's some folk that look back at the Hollywood stars, look back at the YouTubers and the Instagram nuts and the TikTok fools and the Twitter nuts that are seducing you to think that somehow that that is the joy of the world. That's, that's paper that will go up in the flames of destruction. We, we look into this little thing called a phone and we incarcerate ourselves in moments and seconds of foolishness. And we're tick-tocking in the river, on the bank, tick-tocking. One day saved, one day lost, moment, don't know where they're going. Next moment, they think they're going in the right direction. But they're looking behind them. And the way you know you start, the way that you know you're looking behind you is you start looking like you're looking behind you. You start living like what was behind you. You start doing what was behind you. You start picking up what you once put down. And embracing what, what, what you once let go. And saying what you once refused to say. I told you about that time my wife and I were on our way to California. And I got on the highway. And for 45 minutes was dro- driving in the wrong direction. But I was convinced I was going in the right direction. Until I passed a big old green Sunoco dinosaur in Texas. And my wife said, honey... There's a dinosaur, a big old green dinosaur, and I've been making excuses that Texas is big enough for the same-looking gas station, not realizing for 45 minutes I was going in the wrong direction. I was going back to Florida. When she showed me that big green dinosaur, I said, not even Texas is big enough for two big, ugly green dinosaurs. (laughs) And I had to humble myself and get off the freeway and go in the right direction. What am I saying? The things that I saw that I was passing... Here's the key. Brethren, the way you know, sisters, the way that you know you're going in the wrong direction is when you start passing the things that were in your past. When they start showing up in your life again, you are going in the wrong direction. God does not mind if you get off the exit and go in the right direction. As one writer says, If you're going in the wrong direction, God allows U-turns. Some of us are going in the wrong direction, but some of us have not yet gone back, but we're looking back. That's why Jesus said what he did in in Luke 9 and verse 62, the words of Christ. He cautions us, but Jesus said to him, no one, how many? No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. What is he saying? You could be in church. You see, the church is in two conditions, wise and foolish. And Peter understood that there was wheat and tares. In this, in this sanctuary, there are wheat and tares. In this sanctuary, there are the foolish and the wise. But you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. Because while probation lingers, God is saying you can change your standing from tear to wheat by simply turning in the direction of Jesus. That is the reason why when Peter said to Jesus, should we go and root out the tears? He said, no, 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 lest you root out the wheat also. Let them both grow together. You know why? For those of you that are discontent about the way the other folk live, stay here because they need to rub shoulders with some wheat. 
Somebody once asked, our church is not preaching the three angels' messages. Should I find another Adventist church? I said, no. Why don't you live the three angels' messages and let it rub off on everybody else? Don't leave the place. Where are you going to go to? Another imperfect church? Ain't no perfect churches on the planet. You know why? Because people are in them. Jesus is perfect. But Jesus condemned looking back. If you look back, you are not fit for the kingdom. Why? Because as is the case of Egypt, read the story of the Israelites. Just read that in the book of Deuteronomy, in the book of Leviticus. When they got their houses, when they got their wealth, they forgot. They said, my might and my power have gotten me this wealth. They forgot to give God the glory. When they got hungry, they said, we forget, we, forget, we, we remember the leeks and the onions that we ate when we were in Egypt and all the, the quail that we had. And God gave them what they wanted, but they died in the wilderness. Why did he put them in the wilderness? The wilderness is a symbol of separating you from everything that distracted you in Egypt. But the devil's smart nowadays. You know, there was a time, maybe about 30 years ago, or maybe even a little more than that, where there was no satellite. So you could live in the country and literally live in the country. There were no cell phones. So there were no signals chasing you in the woods. But the devil has so, he has so hijacked technology, he said, you may be in the country, but you got the city in your house. And some folk can't go to bed without the city right next to them on their pillow. Phones, can't sleep. Rheumatoid arthritis at 15. <laughs> Wearing glasses. More children wear glasses nowadays at younger ages than when I grew up. Now, come on, old folks, say amen. Some of y'all know about growing up. I'm somewhere between young and old. I'm on my way. I'm not old yet, so don't, you know. Don't condemn me yet, but you know what I'm talking about, Terry. We grew up where we actually rode our bicycle. Not just for Pathfinder, but we rode our bicycle all the time. Come on, old folks, say amen. When we had a chance, we went outside. We played baseball. We did normal stuff, right, Jeff? We hopscotch. Any, kids don't even know what that is. They think that's a drink from Starbucks. No, we actually played games outside. That's why a lot of the kids were slimmer when they were young. Nowadays, kids are overweight at 7, 8, 9, 10. They couch potatoes. You see them at Walmart buying game upon game upon game upon game upon. They don't even know what outside looks like until they're forced to go to school. And when you send kids to their room when I was growing up, they, went to their, they were really in isolation. Nowadays, they're in Disneyland. They got their phone. They got the internet. They got their iPad. They got their computer. They want you to send, them to send me to my room, Mama, so I don't have to talk to you. You get what I'm saying? The devil has hijacked technology because he knows he has a short time. And you don't have to physically leave the church to be looking back. Some folk come to church on Sabbath morning unmoved. Leave the way they came. Spirit of God is appealing to their hearts. Leave the way they came because during the week they spent all their time looking back. And spirit, you can't turn on a spiritual relationship in a few hours that you don't have during the week. Can you imagine wives, your husband trying to love you one day a week? 
Let's not go too far on that one. What day is it? Tuesday. I love you on Tuesday, honey. I don't know about Wednesday and Monday. No, God wants our hearts how often? Every day. Looking back, don't forget this statement God gave to me. Your feet cannot take you where your eyes and your heart are not leading you. The scriptures are clear. Before you go back, you begin to look back. Go to the book of Colossians with me. One of the most ardent leaders in the New Testament church. I'm going to leaders now. I'm talking about members. One of the most ardent leaders in the New Testament church lost his way. He was a leader. He was not a member. He was a leader. And the Bible records his demise to give us a glimpse at what happens that eventually causes a person to go back. And speaking fondly of his co-workers in, 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 the, in the church in, in, in Colossia, Paul the Apostle says these words in the book of Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14. He says to those in, when he was speaking to the Colossians, he says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. He was saying this to those who came to hear him speak when he was speaking to the Colossians. He said, they greet you, Dr. Luke and Demas, they greet you. But I want you to notice, as we go to 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse now, Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4 right now with me. Remember, Luke and Demas, he said they greet you. As Paul was in the early days of his ministry, he had Luke and Demas with him. But as Paul is approaching the end of his life, and we read that passage in 2 Timothy 4 verse 8, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I kept the faith. We know that passage. Right after Paul repeats those words, as his life is coming to an end, he said, I fought a good fight, I finished my course. He finished his course. He did not go back. Did he face persecution? Yes, but he didn't go back. Was he falsely accused? Yes, but he didn't go back. Did people hate him? Yes, but he didn't go back. Did they put him in prison? Yes. Was he, did he face famine and persecution? Was he whipped? Yes, but he didn't go back. Some of you can't even take a bad look and you go back. Somebody can't, don't talk to you and you leave the church. Marshmallow Christianity. Be like the Apostle Paul, face tough times. That's why he wrote to Timothy, endure hardship as a good soldier. Soldiers don't complain because somebody shot at them. That's what they're supposed to do. Why are they mad at me? That's what they're supposed to be. Your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And just in case you didn't notice it, your name is on his hit list. If you serve God, all they that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Some of you have not suffered persecution. Why? Because you're not living godly in Christ. And God will not allow you to suffer persecution. Why? Because he can't trust you in your persecution. We always say that we don't, we don't know if we could trust God. God don't know if he could trust us. Why? Because some of us face the slightest thing, and before we even get a, a singe on our fingertip, we're blaming God. Why God ain't doing this? Why he don't answer my prayer? Where's God when I need him? He's right there, but what you need is a humble heart before you need what God has. That's why some people are going to be broke until they make it to the kingdom. God can't trust you with money. God can't trust some people with success because success will be their ticket out. I know what I'm talking about. I've been around long enough. I've seen people 
gain things and walk away from the church. I told you the story, but some of you didn't hear it, so I'll tell it to this new group. Young man, his mother died and left a home in New York City. She bought the house for a very small amount, but when, she, when he sold the house that his mother left for him, he got hundreds of thousands of dollars. Moved out of New York City, moved down to Florida, Miami, Florida. You may remember Hurricane Hugo, but you've got to be old to remember that. Or somewhat old. <laughs> Behave yourself, Ramona. Hurricane Hugo hit Miami with a tenacity and an anger that they had not experienced in decades. Wiped his house out. Because when he got his money, he said, folk that can't do better for themselves need the church. I got what I need. And God took what he had. He's in the church now. I see him every now and then. Good to see you. Your ministry blesses me. If you put anything before God, God would take it so you could be saved. Now, let me make it clear. God don't take folk. God is not an assassin. He ain't shooting your family members. God doesn't take children that die in death. or God doesn't take parents that die from some disease. But he will take your possessions. He said in the book of Hosea, I will put thorns and thistles in your path. You will pursue your lovers, but you will not be able to overtake them. And you'll be so discontent in trying to run away from God. He said, then you will come to your senses and say, I will go back to my husband, for it was better with me then than it is with me now. Some of you are trying to run, but God's put some thorns in your path. Praise the Lord for that. God is not going to let you be lost without trying to save you. He's not willing that any should perish. That's why the Apostle Paul, when he talked about Luke and Demas greeting them, just before the close of his life, he said these sad words we find in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 and 11. Look at what he said. He's an old man now. He says, be diligent to come to me quickly, speaking to Timothy. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas got on Instagram and left the church. Demas got on a Facebook page and left the church. Demas got involved in all the hip-hop music and the nightlife and the lifestyle of the, of the lost and not famous. Demas has forsaken me. The very man that was involved in ministry with Luke and, and Paul and Mark and Barnabas he forsook him, having loved this present world, and has departed to Thessalonica. And verse 11 says, only Luke is with me. What happened? Demas left me. He loved the world more than the work of God. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Demas, who earlier in Paul's ministry was good. Luke and Demas were good. But Luke hung in there, and Demas left. Folk don't know that the world is going to pass away. All the famous folk that don't give their lives to Christ are going to one day run and say to the rocks and the mountains, hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne. Heaven does not care about the size of your house or your limousine. Heaven is not persuaded by the depth of your bank account or your influence. There's only one person who can sway the voice of heaven. His name is Jesus. 
And if, that's, if he is not your Savior, all the stuff you have, what did Jesus say about the rich fool? Tonight your soul is required of you. What's going to be all this stuff that you put up? All your barns are full. Your stocks are doing well. Your family got everything they need, but tonight you're going to die. Who's all this stuff going to be for? And then he said to the disciples when they became discontent, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What can he give in exchange for his soul? You know, I'm getting to the point where I realize that the stuff that God gives to us, if we're not using it for the ministry, it is a distraction from the kingdom of God. Yeah, he allows us to have cameras and iPads and computers, but if you're using it for reasons that will pull you away from God, you are beginning to look back, and it's just a matter of time before you go back. See, friends, heaven's agenda is that we finish the race. Hell's agenda is that we go back. And we don't go back until we start looking back first. That's why one of the signs of the last days, a lot of us look at political signs and signs about pestilence and famine and earthquakes and fires and floods and, and all the things can't rain in California, a lot of fires in Mexico and droughts around the world and heavy floods washing away towns. But there's one sign in the Bible that is an unmistakable evidence that we are living in the last days. And here it is, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3. The Bible makes it clear, this sign must not be ignored. We are told by the Apostle Paul, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless what happens? The falling away comes first. What many of us don't understand is Satan is studying us with demonic intensity. We are under the microscope of angels, demons that have been following our tracks, studying our discontent, hearing what God has said to us and looking at our reaction to it, looking at the way we feel when certain words are proclaimed from the pulpit, looking at how, looking at how we live when we walk away from the church. Satan is studying us with demonic intensity because his number one aim is to study the flaws in our character. We were in Australia and went to a zoo. And I'll never forget this scene. It just came vivid in my mind. There was a, a beautiful Bengal tiger on the, behind this very thick plexiglass. And there was a little child, couldn't have been about two or three years old, little girl, cute little girl, standing there, her mother said, turn around, I want to take a picture with the tiger in the background. Well, that tiger was far away. He was just walking, just, just walking back and forth, walking back and forth. And pretty soon we didn't see the tiger. That Bengal tiger walked all the way to the end of his pen, and he, and he hung tight to the wall until he was right behind that kid and slapped the glass. The Bible said the devil is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He was looking for a way to get to that child. We got to understand that Jesus knows that we are no match for the enemy if we turn our backs on Christ. Servant of the Lord, Ellen White says in Councils of Stewardship, notice what she says. Don't ignore these words. Councils on Stewardship, page 154, paragraph 1. As the people of God approach the perils of the last days, Satan holds earnest consultation with his angels as to the most successful plan 
of overthrowing their faith. What saddens, what saddens me is some of us are helping Satan overthrow our faith because we don't consider the forces of darkness that are waiting for us if we go back. Some people think they're going to go back and just have a little bit of fun. Oh, ask Moses. He said, I'd rather suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Yeah, the devil knows how to appeal to your likes and dislikes. He will bring to your table that which appeals to your carnal nature, to the dark side of your life. He'll put it on your plate. He'll say, this is what you want? Here it is. And while you're eating your last meal, about to be laid to rest, ready to come up in the second resurrection, the devil makes you think you're having fun. He said the same thing to Christ. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you just simply fall down and worship me. Because he knew the path to the cross was a difficult one. He was, he was making it appear to Jesus that you could avoid the difficulty of the cross and I'll give you the kingdom. That was a lie. You can't give what you don't own. But understand, that's why Matthew 12, verse 44 and 45, God told me to share this passage with you because for those of you that go back, you have no idea of the forces of darkness waiting for you when you go back. Look at it. Matthew 12, verse 44 and 45. And by the way, this is talking about a person whose life was right in Christ. And the demons were looking at that person's trajectory of life. And the demons were talking with themselves. And one demon said, this is the demons talking. Verse 44, then he said, I will return to my house from which I came. This is the demons talking. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. The last state of that man is worse than the first. What did Jesus say? So shall it be with this wicked generation. Some folk think they're going back just to enjoy a little beer here and a little partying there and a little lifestyle this and lifestyle that. They think they're going back to hang out what they don't know is the devil's waiting for you to step in his category, to step in his territory, and he'll fill you with seven demons worse than you have ever experienced, and you cannot free yourself. That's why the Bible says those who fall away, it is impossible that, that they recover themselves. That's why when we see people that are falling back, the Bible says the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be, but be patient, apt to teach, instructing those that oppose themselves that maybe perhaps God will restore them to their senses who have been taken captive by the devil to do his will. And some people don't understand the devil wants you to do his will. And you think it's just going back for a little visit into where you are because you haven't burned your bridges. And I'll be honest with you, as I grew up, I grew up in the ministry. As I grew up as a pastor, the Lord showed me in my life as a pastor what I need to get rid of. I'm not just talking to you. He showed me, you want to be a more effective preacher? You got to live it. You got to live it off the stage. 
when the lights are not there. You've got to live it when nobody's watching. You've got to live it right. You can't speak what you're not living. So God and me, we have conversations. But if God is speaking to you and you're not responding, you are on dangerous ground. There are demons waiting for you to step back in their camp. and They're going to so bind you. That as the Bible says, it happens according to the true proverb, the, the pig returns to wallow in its mire and the dog returns to eat his vomit. And they think that somehow they're going back to good things. The Lord says it's just a pig going back to the mud and a dog going back to the vomit. But the devil wraps it in gift wrapping and make you think it's a good first-class meal. See it for what it is. But let me make it very clear about this passage. You see, those who have been saved have been swept by the power of Jesus. Amen. Then they come to church looking like their lives are put in order. Nice suit, nice outfit, nice dress. Got my hair in place. But the devil says, but there's something about them that still gives us access. It was in the beginning of the passage. I'll go back to it. Look at it. Matthew 12, verse 44. The devil says, I will return to my house. He's talking about you from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it what? Empty. He finds it what? Empty. You know what that means? There's no Holy Spirit there. Jesus is not living there. Because Paul the Apostle says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. He says, I came back. They look clean. They look put in order, but they are empty. And there are so many empty Christians that are swept. What does it mean swept? They boast about, I don't smoke anymore. I don't drink anymore. I don't carouse anymore. I don't do this and this and this. But there's something that they still do that they don't talk about. And the devil says, ah, you're empty, because I know what you do. You boast about what you don't do, but I know what you do. And he said, you're empty, because God does not abide in the life of a person whose profession is not in harmony with the way they should live. That's why the only safety is when we are imbued by the Spirit of God, and Jesus is living on the inside. But you know, my brethren, it comes only on the basis of your choice. Listen to this. Letter 53, Ellen White wrote to a specific person who had those issues in 1876. This letter, paragraph 27, listen to what she says. She says, the intellect and affections, the intellect and affections you must bring under the influence and control of the Spirit of God. God doesn't do it. You've got to do it. Your mind is so constituted, meaning your mind is always so active, that it will be constantly employed for good or for evil. The mind does not rest. But listen to what she says. You have the power to do what? train the mind and control its working and to give direction to the current of your thoughts. Others cannot do this for you. 
You must do it for yourself. But to do this will call forth effort and toil. You got to be serious. This work cannot be done by giving loose rein to the imagination. The thoughts must be resolutely and perseveringly brought into subjection to the Spirit of Christ. Can you say amen? amen. The Lord will save you, but He's not going to change you. He will justify you, but sanctification will not happen without your participation with Christ. Amen. He's just knocking on the door. you got to let Him in. That's why Isaiah said, cease to do evil, learn to do well. That's why Paul the Apostle said, look at these words in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Notice what he says, examine yourself. Who should we examine? Examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Why? Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are what? Disqualified. Disqualified for what? Here's the point. If the, character, if the character of Jesus is not being formed in us daily, how often did I say? Because today when you're at church, you can't, you can't light a cigarette in here. Everybody will see it. You can't be looking at pornography in here. Everybody will see it. You can't be going to your favorite websites in here. Everybody will see it. You can't be drinking your beer that you hide. Everybody will see it. Or drinking the alcohol that you like to take a sip of. Everybody will see it. Or talking to people or doing what you do in dark, everybody would see it. Anybody could be holy at this hour. But God is looking on the inside. That's why Paul said, examine yourself. You see, when you're disqualified, you are no use to heaven and no threat to hell. When you're disqualified, the devil doesn't fear you. God can't use you. That's why Titus says it this word, this way. He doesn't care about how you sing. Titus 1.16, they profess to know God, but in works they deny him. How, what do your works say about your profession? In works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Heaven can't even use you. You're disqualified. No use. How do you get qualified? Here's what Paul says. 2 Timothy 2 verse 15. Be diligent. What are the first two words, my brothers and sisters? Say it with some force. What are all those words? Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God. The opposite of disqualified is approved. I approve of that child. That's why the Lord said to the devil, Have you considered my servant Job? I approve of him. That's why the Lord took Enoch. He walked with God and was not for God took him. Why? Because he was a man that despised evil. How do you feel about evil? He said, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Let me get back to that ashamed part because the truth is understandable. Clearly, we know it's in God's word, but let's get to the ashamed. One of the reasons why when Jesus comes, they'll be crying to the rocks and the mountains is because they are ashamed. The Lord gave them the garment, just as Ron preached that a few Sabbaths ago. God gave them the garment, but they, they'd rather be naked than have on the garment of God. And some people are naked all week, spiritually, and try to put on a garment just for Sabbath morning. Barely. But God sees us. That's why Oswald Chambers says in 
my utmost for us highest, May 10th, these words. He said, we are in danger of forgetting that we cannot do what God does and that God will not do what we can do. We cannot save nor sanctify ourselves, he says. God does that, but God will not give us good habits or character. And he will not force us to walk correctly before him. We have to do that ourselves. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2 and verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not, look at this, not in my presence only, but much more in my absence. Anybody could be a Christian when Paul was preaching, but he said, I heard that when I'm not even around you, living right. Come on, say amen. That's what God is looking for. People that are willing to live when there is no evangelistic series being preached, when, the, when Mark Finley is not thrown down in the pulpit, people that are living right when the sermon is over. Not only in my presence, anybody can do that, but much more in my absence. He said, you are better Christians when I'm not around. But look what he said. Work out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Why did Paul say that? When you study what he said, he said, why fear and trembling? Let me tell you something. Being lost in the fires of hell will cause you to fear. God doesn't want to burn you up. That's for the devil and his angels. But the very thought of being lost should cause you to tremble. The very thought of missing the kingdom should cause you some consternation. How can I be a Christian all my life and be lost? Oh, absolutely not. It doesn't make sense, as Elder Brooks said, to live in hell, go through hell, end up in hell. Doesn't make any sense. That's all this world is, hell with beautiful garments on it. That's all it is. But when God says, work out your own salvation, he is not talking about justification. Justification is the work of Christ. He will save his people from their sins, Matthew 1, verse 21. But the work of changing our standing, get me now, the work of changing our standing before God is what Jesus does. We become his children. Did you get that? But the work of changing our behavior cannot be done without our participation with Christ. Ministry of healings. I'm almost done. You're not going to die of starvation. <laughs> Ministry of healings. Page 176, paragraph 1. The tempted one. We got anybody tempted in here? The tempted one needs to understand the true force of the will. This is the governing power in the nature of man. The power of decision, of choice. Everything. How many things? Everything depends on the right action of the will. Desires for good and purity are right. But get this. So far as they go. But if we stop here, they avail nothing. Many will go down to ruin while hoping and desiring to overcome their evil propensities. What's the problem? They do not yield the will to God. They do not choose to serve Him. Got to make a choice. Got to make a choice. Isaiah 1, here's the choices. Isaiah makes it very clear. Verse 16 and 17. What kind of choices are there? He says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doing from before my eyes. 
Some people are living evil lives and think that God is not watching. God is saying, put away the evil from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. How bad is that? God is trying to give you eternity, but you are doing evil. God is saying, I see it. Put away your evil from before my eyes. Heaven is recording the way you live. All things are open. Nothing is naked to the eyes of him to whom we have to give an account. You live dark lives during the week and try to show up to look good on Sabbath morning. God is saying, put away the evil of your doing from before my eyes. That should cause you to tremble. When he says cease to do evil, he means burn your bridges. Look at what James says. James 4 verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What is our responsibility? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You know what it means to be double-minded? I don't know if I'm going to be righteous today or unrighteous. Well, Sabbath is my righteous day, but Sunday, I got to get my own life on. I got to live the way I want to live. Double-minded. Double-minded. Christian character cannot be developed without a determined choice. Jesus does not impose himself in our lives. He stands at the door and knocks, but he does not knock down the door. Let's look at another quotation before I close. Ministry of Healing, 176, paragraph 2. Look at what the Bible says. For God, God has given us the power of what, my brothers? Choice. Choice. It is ours to do what, my sisters? Exercise. We cannot change our hearts. We cannot control our thoughts, our impulses, our affections. We cannot make ourselves pure fit for God's service, but, but, we can choose to serve God. How do we do that? We can give him our will. Then he will work in us to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Thus, praise the Lord for this, our whole nature will be brought under the control of Christ to God be the glory. When you decide to give God your life, how much of your nature? Your whole nature will be brought into the subjection of the will and control of Christ. God wants to do that for us. And here's how Peter says it happens. These are the steps. And in a future sermon, I'm going to break these down in detail. We're going to go through building Christian character. These are the scriptures we're going to break down one by one. And my brethren, let me tell you something. This is the reason why I keep on pleading with you to join us on Wednesday night. Because all we are talking about on Wednesday night is developing Christian character. People that are not Adventists are tuning in. People from other denominations are tuning in. Why? Because they want character. I don't want to mention names on air because I keep, have to keep people, keep, keep people their, their, their visibility uh, uh, unknown but we have people that are secular and powerful families who thought that fame and fortune and money could bring them satisfaction, and they're finding out it does not. So they're tuning in on Wednesday nights from around the nation to find out how to develop character. Listen to this, 2 Peter 5, 1, verse 5 to 10. But also for this very reason, Peter says, and he knows, give all diligence. That is continually talked about. Give all diligence. Let's look at the addition. Let's read this together. Add to your faith what? Virtue. That means live like you should live. 
godly. To virtue, knowledge, study your Bible. To knowledge, self-control. Don't think that because the thought comes, you got to follow it. To self-control, perseverance. Don't keep quitting. To perseverance, godliness. Live a life that you would not be ashamed if the entire world knew. To godliness, brotherly kindness. Treat each other like Christians ought to treat each other. Some of you don't even respect each other. Some of you don't talk to one another. Some of you walk by each other like they don't exist. That is not the kind of behavior that Christians should display. If you are a Christian, act like it. Come on, say amen. amen. Come on, I don't like that person. God calls you not to like them, but to love them. I can't get to heaven because I don't like you. I may not like your behavior, but i got to treat you like a child of God. If I'm a child of God, the fruit of the Spirit has to be displayed in my life. Brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, what? Love. And notice these words. He says, for if these things are yours and abound, you will, neither, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things are short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more, what? Diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, what are the next four words? You will never stumble. Is that a guarantee? If God said it, you can take it to the bank. Nazo Chambers said it this way. May 10th, my utmost for his highest. Take the initiative yourself. Make decisions of your will. Make a decision of your will right now and make it impossible to go back. What did he say? Burn your bridges behind you. Amen. Man, I tell you, I'm enjoying this sermon. Because God is talking to me. I hope you know he's talking to you. I'd like to invite the pianist to come up. Jenny, if you come up, praise team, could you come up? Burn your bridges. My wife and I were in Zambia and in Zimbabwe, and I'll tell you when to play. My wife and I were in Zambia and in Zimbabwe. Love the countries. We went there with Maranatha to, to build churches. And when we got to Zimbabwe, we went to go back to Zambia to see the churches that we built the year before. And they said, how can we get to Zambia from Zimbabwe? They said, well, you got to cross that bridge that spans Victoria Falls. That's the only way across. They said, when you leave Zimbabwe and you get on the bridge, you, are in, you don't exist until you get to the other side. I said, what do you mean we don't exist? He said, because you just left one country. You didn't go to the other country yet. You are in no man's land. The bridge represents no man's land. Where you came from was your former country. Where you're headed is your future country. So I said, so what happened if the bridge is not there? They said, you have to go hundreds of miles to get to Zambia if this bridge ever disappeared. So this bridge is the way out and the way back. If that bridge was no longer there, it would be impossible to come back. My appeal to you, my brothers and sisters, make it impossible to go back to where you were before you found Christ. Are you listening to me today? Make it impossible 
for you to believe what you used to believe before you knew the truth. Make it impossible to go back on how you lived before you knew what was right. Make it impossible. Burn your bridges between your alcoholic life, your drug life, your worldly life. Burn the bridges of sexual immorality. Don't go back. Corrupt entertainment. Don't go back. Burn the bridges to laziness and listless Christianity and, and a life devoid of Christian service. Don't go back. Burn the bridges where Jesus made the difference. Don't go back where Jesus cannot make the difference. My brethren, is there somebody here today that's willing to say, look, I'm making up my mind today to burn my bridges. Can I get somebody that's willing to say that? If you're willing to say that, let me just ask. I don't want just this general flood of standing, but if you really want to go forward in Christ and you are determined that when this journey is over, I'm going to say like Paul, I finished my course, I finished my race. Is anybody here today? If that's your desire, would you stand with me? Would you stand with me? Now, I'm going to say this. If that's your desire today, my brother and sister, you're going to say what Paul said. I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are where? Behind. And reaching forward to those things which are where? Ahead. Can we say it together? Can we say it together? Verse 14. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I want us to sing this song. But as we sing this song, and while we're singing the song, I'm pressing on the upward way. That's, that's what it's called, high ground. Yeah. While we're singing that song, I want to have a special prayer this morning. I want to have a special prayer for those that say, you know, I really, I really, I really want to be saved. And I need God to, to give me wisdom to burn the bridges in my life. I need the Spirit of God to bring conviction to me to burn the bridges in my life. If that's your desire today, while we sing this song, I know it's a, a nice up-tempo hymn, but I want it to be to you today your Magna Carta, your declaration. I am pressing on. Bring up that first stanza for me, Mike. I appreciate that. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I'm onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Jenny, as you play the song, and while we sing it, if there's somebody here today that says, I want that to be the experience of my life. Just slip up your hand wherever you are. Wherever you are, God knows what's in your, God knows what's on the other side of that bridge. Some sincere hands today. God knows what's on the other side of that bridge, but he wants you to decide to burn it. Only you can make that decision. Let's sing this stanza. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I'm onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher What are we asking God to do? Lord, lift me up that I shall stand by faith on heaven. 
Now, before we go to the second stanza, I know, I know, I want you to read these words. Is this really your desire? My heart has no desire to stay, but doubts arise and fear is dismay. Though some may dwell where these abound, my prayer, my aim is what, Terry? Higher ground. Please, let's sing this as our testimony. My heart has no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay. Though some may dwell where these abound, my prayer, my end is higher ground. Lord, lift me up and I shall stand by faith on heaven's table and a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher I'm going to sing the last stanza, but the last stanza that I want to sing is verse 3. While we're singing this verse, I'm going to ask you to come forward if you need prayer in your life. Because a couple of weeks ago, I asked the question, like the man at the pool of Bethsaida, do you want to? And this says, I want to. If you want to, if today, if you want your life to be different, you could fool yourself into thinking that you are not going to be the victim of the enemy, that you've got a better plan than the seven demons that the devil has waiting for you. You can outwit him, and nobody, no matter what he does, he can't get you. But if you are wise and you are sober and you are vigilant and you want to live above the world because Satan is throwing those darts, my brother, and without the shield of Christ, you will come down. If that's your desire today, please don't let the devil lie to you. You should be in this number for prayer today. Let's sing this, Jenny. I want to live above the world Though Satan's darts at me are hurled For faith has caught the joyful sound The song of saints on higher ground Lord, lift me up and I shall stand By faith on heaven's table and A higher plane than I have found Lord, plant my feet on higher ground Before I pray, before I pray, there's some of you that still haven't moved. I guess some of you got great plans. I guess some of you really are smarter than the enemy. I would think that wisdom would say, we all need to be in this number. Because somehow, if you think that somehow you've got this thing figured out, then you haven't seen hell's best and you have not experienced God's best. The question is, on which side do you want to be? If you want to be on heaven's best, then you ought to come down and join us for prayer. Just come on wherever you are. I'm inviting the entire church to come. This is no admission of guilt. This is your admission that you need Christ. Amen. This is what that is. God knows who you are. Some of you know who you are. I know who some of you are. 
But this is not the purpose of this call. This purpose is to say, we need Christ in our lives. It's not about a sermon. It's not about Sabbath morning message. It's about we've got one destination that God has set, and the devil's got a destination he set for us. And the difference between the two is a bridge. When you go home today and something in your life that needs to be done, burn that bridge. If it's a relationship, burn that bridge. If it's immorality, burn that bridge. If it's living for the world, burn that bridge. You will not be, ser- you will not be sorry that you burn that bridge when you see the gleams of the new Jerusalem. You will not be sorry when Jesus comes that you burn that bridge. When you hear the voice of God call your name, you will not be sorry that you burn that bridge. When you see your mansion that is being prepared for you and your robe and your crown, you will not say, I'm so sad I got rid of that bridge. Oh, no, my brother. There's no bridge in my life that I'm going to leave in place that's going to take the place of the kingdom God has prepared for me. My wife and I are going to heaven together. It's in my resume. People say, what are you, what's your resume? After they mention all that stuff, I said, I love the Lord, I love my wife, and I plan on spending eternity with both of them. That's my resume. I'm crossing that bridge. We're crossing that bridge together, together forever, eternity in view. I pray today that that's your desire, because truth is clear. Don't ignore it. Salvation is clear. It's free, paid for by Christ. But if you want to be there, you've got to burn those bridges, and only you know what that bridge is. Let the convicting voice of the Spirit of God grip you today and bring you to a place of real, genuine walk with Christ. Father in heaven, Lord, we know the signs are all around us. The world is crumbling. There's nothing in this life that can give us the blessed assurance that is found only in you. There's nothing in this world that can say to us, you are safe in my circle, on my page in my friends list, in my club, in my sorority. There's nothing in this life that can give us the salvation and safety that you can give. Yet somehow Christianity has become a fog to some of us and we cannot see and understand your will for our lives. But I pray today, Lord, that your spirit has spoken to the hearts of your children. Whatever the age, Lord, reveal to us the bridges that we have kept erected for those sad, earthly dark moments in our lives and help us to burn them down by committing our lives to you burn them down by saying I refuse to go back burn them down and leave the results to you and we're going to press on the upward way we're going to press till heaven we have found we're going to press till our feet are standing on higher ground thank you for being patient father thank you for giving us a chance We're alive still. We can make those decisions. It's before us. And may we never regret. May the devil never be able to convince us that giving our lives to you is the worst decision we can ever make. He's a liar and the father of it. There's nothing that he can give to us. There's no feeling. There's no pleasure. There's no experience that can ever replace the joy that we will experience when we stand in your presence. May we be determined to go forward and burn all of our bridges. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. My brothers and sisters, as your pastor, I'm praying for you.